This is a podcast where I talk to people with disabilities to hear their stories. I wouldn't expect anyone to know what life is like for someone who can't walk, can't see, or can't hear. But we have a responsibility to learn and grow throughout our lives. And this podcast is meant to help to see what life is like for someone on the other side. Welcome to Ability. On this episode, I talk to friend, artist, animator, and email marketing specialist. On this episode with Athena Cooper. So how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Tell me about your disability as if I know nothing. Well, I have osteogenesis imperfecta, commonly known as OI or brittle bone disease. OI is caused by a either a lack or a deformation of collagen. So the way it was explained to me when I was a kid was that if a bone is like a reinforced concrete beam, then the concrete is the calcium and the collagen is the reinforcing parts like the iron rebar. And so it's like someone's come along and snipped up my rebar. So it's still there, but the overall structure isn't as strong. So I've had probably around 30 to 40 fractures in my life. And most of those happen pre-puberty. I've been fracture-free for about 15 years now. And I'm about three foot seven. So that's fairly common for um, OI as well, is reduced height. That's awesome. I have OI too, and I've been fracture free for about nine years now. So that's awesome. That's great. The wonders of medicine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I had uh, the bisphosphonates, and I've really uh, taken oh. to that. So, yeah, those were not available when I was a kid. And so I've never had that treatment. I, um, I just naturally stopped fracturing as much uh, after puberty. I was having about a fracture a year before that. Yeah, I had about a fracture a year, too. My line is always that they give bisphosphonates to astronauts to make myself feel cool. So, <laughs> you know, they give those to astronauts, right? So I'm getting astronaut medicine. Right. Astronaut uh, juice, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, the uh, puberty typically helps, is what I'm told. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. When did you first realize you were different? I think I realized it when I was about six, when I got my first um, power wheelchair. Uh, prior to that, my parents uh, would take me around in a stroller. So I was just a very tiny person in a stroller. So that wasn't as jarring, I think, for people. But when I started being a tiny person that's driving around in a 100-pound wheelchair, that's a little bit more eye-catching. And it certainly, I think, set me apart from uh, the kids that I was with at the time as well. Um, my friend, when I first rolled into grade one in my power chair, she said that uh, she couldn't figure out why there was a vacuum running in the school uh, in the middle of the day. And, uh, and then I come roaring in in this power chair. So uh, yeah, I think that was sort of the beginning. Um, and I was, um, I was mainstreamed, I, um, with, I was with able-bodied kids for, you know, even be, uh, pre-kindergarten. 
And so I didn't have a, a lot of contact with other people with disabilities. And so I think that as well, like I was the only kid in the wheelchair. I love your phrase mainstream. It's like you've been out of prison. I was mainstreamed. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it was, it was kind of a thing like back. I mean, I was in school in the early eighties and, you know, during that time, kids with disabilities tended to be in, you know, separate classroom environments. And my parents, they just weren't having that. And they insisted that I be in a regular class with regular kids. And I was the first kid in the district to do that. And now it's a lot more common. But back in those days, it was not. What was it like for you growing up beyond just school? Well, I, I had a, I think I had a fairly normal childhood. Um, I had, you know, some really good friends when I was growing up. And I was in a, a class at the time that was very, there was like 18 boys and six girls. So uh, the girls were getting bullied for everything, uh, not. And so it was never a, a situation where I was being uh, picked on for being uh, disabled. It was more I was picked on because I was in the minority of being a girl in that class. And so I think us girls kind of banded together because of that. And so that was a positive thing. Um, but no, I, I think I had a pretty normal childhood. I enjoyed arts and crafts. I enjoyed reading. I uh, never felt like I was wanting anything that I couldn't really have. I enjoyed what I had. You mentioned it a little bit, but do you have anything else to say about school? What was school like for you? Um, I was, I really enjoyed school. I, uh, excelled academically and that was something that I think was very, very important to my parents that I develop myself in that regard as much as possible. Um, my, uh, parents are, were both self-employed and so I had access to computers. Uh, they're basically their home office, uh, from a very early age. And so I, learned how to touch type when I was six. And so I would do all my homework on the computer. And that really threw my classmates kind of for a loop because I was the only one that was submitting homework assignments that were typed up. And that's kind of an odd thing when you're, you know, 10 and uh, no one else is doing that. So they didn't really know what to make of that. And um, I think they believed that I was getting help or getting, um, you know, my parents were doing my homework or something like that. And, uh, and so I think that more than anything was what, uh, caused friction in class for me is those, um, being perceived as being too smart and too much of a goody two shoes and doing too well. And that I think, uh, was where I, if I had issues with my classmates, that would be what I would have issues with. Did you type up your homework assignments because you could or because you wanted to or because you your handwriting was bad? Like, what was your reasoning for doing that? Just because it was cool? I had really good handwriting, um, but I could also type faster than I could write. And so it, for me, and, you know, you're 
once you get used to working on a word processor, uh, you know, you can make your assignments look nice and neat and tidy. You're not scratching things out and having to break out the whiteout or whatever to fix a mistake. You can do it nice and clean. So, yeah, I think it probably appealed to my sense of perfection and desire to do a good job. See, I typed a lot of my assignments, but that was only because my handwriting is awful. <laughs> you know, like if I ever had the opportunity to uh, to type anything, I I would do it. I've been known if I was given a worksheet to scan it in and type over it. <laughs> nice. Because I, I, my handwriting was so bad, I'm almost ashamed of it. Like, you don't want to see it. <laughs> what was your relationship like with your parents? I have a, I think I have a really good relationship with my parents. Uh, my parents, as I said, they're, they were really keen on me being uh, academically strong and being able to communicate clearly. They felt that that was always going to be a real key to my success to be able to communicate and ask for the things I wanted and ask for help if I needed it. And so that was very important to them. My parents also really believed in teaching me the ability to problem solve. And so that was something that I remember very strongly from my childhood was that, you know, my dad is a uh, mechanical engineer by training. And so he was always trying to figure out the solutions that would either make my life easier or less painful or make me more independent in some way. So when I was still fracturing quite a bit, um, he built a bed that we could load in the back of our station wagon. And so this was a bed that had a built-in toilet. It had, um, you could throw on this thing that was like a little mini dollhouse. So I could be lying on my back and playing with my dollhouse or, um, and then they would put it in the back of the station wagon and we'd go to the park and we'd go have a picnic in the park and I'd be lying in my bed because I, you know, had a pip spiker, which is like a, a cast that goes down from your chest to your toes, plaster cast, and I couldn't do anything. So they were really good at about at sort of like, how can we do this? How can we come up with a solution for this? So it's always been about, you know, how to how to work the problem. And that was something that I really appreciated. And they live about 20 minutes from me now. Um, so I see them on a regular basis. They come out for dinner usually once a week. Yeah, I had those spica casts. They were never very fun. They were very no. itchy, I remember. They were very itchy. Ah, the hairdryer trick, though. You spray a hairdryer up one leg or something, and that would uh, relieve the itchiness. Well, that's great that you had a dad that was able to do those things for you, and the, you had that problem-solving thing. Did your dad mm -hmm. do the thing where if you broke the computer, you just had to fix it? Like, my mother always did that. Like, <laughs> I would do something crazy with a computer, and she's like, I don't know how to fix it. You're going to have to figure it out. So I'd have to sit there well, and figure out what I did. <laughs> no, my dad's pretty technically inclined, although I find now that I am now the uh, household tech support when they, because he was a PC guy and now they've moved on to Apple products, which they're a little less familiar with. And so, you know, I'm they're when they're over for dinner, it's like, okay, we're trying to do something on iPad. Can you take a look? What adaptations have you made to the world around you? You mentioned that bed, which is really cool, but anything else? 
Um, well, I, I have a power wheelchair that has a seat lift. Um, I use that quite a bit for cooking and things like that. Um, I'm not, I can actually get in and out of the chair on my own and, um, walk if I'm hanging on to something. So the, the wheelchair is almost like a mobile platform sometimes. So I will stand on the footrest to do my dishes or get something out of the laundry. Or if I, I need to get something out of the bag, I'll stand on the seat of the chair and climb over the back and, or lean over the back, I should say, and get stuff out of my bag. Uh, so it's, um, it's useful in that regard. I also have an Apple Watch, which I highly recommend for folks with a Y because it has a um, an emergency call function. A lot of people aren't aware of that. So I always had this fear that if I ever fell out of the chair, my phone would probably be either sitting on the dining table or sitting in the wheelchair somewhere. And there I would be on the floor with a broken whatever. And I would have to climb back up into the chair somehow to get my phone to call for help. But the Apple Watch has an emergency call button on it. And so if you hold it down, it will dial 911. And, uh, and you can talk to 911. And then after that, it will text your emergency contacts and let them know where you are and that you've called 911. And so that has been a huge peace of mind thing for me, uh, since I do, you know, I live alone a lot of the times and, and that's just good, good to know. I wanted to mention, I just remembered, you can also, if you have an iPhone, shout at your iPhone, you know, for Siri and have it call 911. So even if somebody ah. doesn't have their Apple watch, yeah, you can have it call 911 yeah, for I you. That's that is good to know. I turned off Siri because I find her annoying. So <laughs> work for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm I'm a big technology guy. Siri, Apple Watch, I've got one, mm-hmm. iPad, whole thing. So yeah. I just remembered that. So No, that's good. Good to yeah. know. Um I might find Siri less annoying if I know that. <laughs> what OI type do you have? I've never been officially uh, tested, but I'm probably a type three. That's awesome that you're able to get around so well, because I do around a lot of those things. I get in and out of the chair by myself. I live alone. Like, that's great Mm -hmm. that you're able to do those things. I've never heard of anybody who had type three that had the mobility, because usually type three is very severe. Yes. Yeah. And and that's where I'm... that's where I say I'm not entirely sure. It's interesting. Um, my partner and I, just for fun, we did the 23andMe uh, DNA testing. And so we, he's quite into it. And so he were, we were trying to figure out what type of OI I had based on what the DNA snippets are for the different types. Judging by what we were able to sort of find out on our own, it's more likely that I have type 3 than it is that I have type 4. But again, this is us figuring it out through, you know, a couple websites and our own kind of industriousness with the internet. When I was born, they actually took a piece of my skin to do genetic testing. So Mm. uh, they actually know that I have type 3, which is fun. A little scar. It's pretty Mm -hmm. awesome. (laughs) (laughs) where they took that little piece anyway it's neat if you could have any job if education physical ability or cost were not a factor just pure enjoyment what would you most like to do oh i would definitely want to do um more of my art 
more illustration, more writing. Um, I would love to do a children's book someday. Um, I'm doing some of that kind of stuff now um, on the side, and I still consider that to be a real important part of my um, career development and my professional life. But to be able to do that full time and really focus on it and really build it up as a full fledged business, that would be that would be definitely what I would want to do. Who inspires you, or who do you look up to? Uh, well, last fall, I joined this group called Thrive Mastermind. They're um, based in Vancouver, Canada, which is where I live. Uh, but they're an increasingly global organization. They're a, a group for female artists who are, you know, you join the group and then you join, uh, you get a sort of monthly meeting with them and with you, yourself and nine other artists and you trade you know, advice and motivation and, uh, you know, talk about your struggles and talk about what your creative work is or what you're doing that month. And I have just found it so inspiring to, you know, be working with these women and to see the work they're doing and to see the struggles they have. Um, it's been, you know, it's been so great. And I'm on, you know, you follow each other on Instagram and you cheer each other on and, um, you know, being an artist is kind of a solitary pursuit sometimes, and knowing you're in it with other people is really nice. And then I have also have to give a shout out to my partner, who um, is currently in um, Calgary, Alberta, which is the next province over, and um, he is doing his master's right now in social work, and he's working damn hard, and I get so inspired. Um, you know, knowing what he's up to and knowing how hard he's working at it. And so he makes me want to hustle that much harder for uh, the stuff that I want to get up to. That's awesome. Thrive also has a podcast too, by the way. I just looked it up. The Thrive Talks podcast. Yes, it's a really good, like the podcast um, replicates uh, what the monthly meetings are like. So we go through the same questions that they talk about with each other on the Thrive podcast. And it's just really good to check in. I actually have my next Thrive meeting on Monday, so I have to do my homework after this to make sure I'm ready for it. What do you consider your biggest accomplishment? I would say my biggest accomplishment is um, was when I graduated from animation school. Um, be working in animation, this was a dream I had um, in high school, and I it first started when I saw The Little Mermaid, and I was completely blown away. I was probably about 12 at the time when it came out. And I just had this idea for years growing up that it'd be so cool to work in animation. And it was really hard, like, just in terms of, you know, figuring out how I would go to animation school, figuring out how I was going to do the money to get into animation school. Uh, for a while, once I got into the school, I um, was, because I was on disability benefits at the time, it was very hard for me to make money. And so I worked for the school and I did a exchange, like uh, time for credits kind of thing. And that was how I put myself through the first year of animation school, was working for the school in exchange for classes. And then in my second to last semester at animation school, I got 
hit by a car and I fractured my hip in two places and I had to take a semester off. Um, it was just like, it was just a lot of, you know, even just outside the work of classes and doing the assignments and all this stuff, which was completely inspiring to me. And I loved it. It was just a lot of work to go through animation school. And so getting it done was something I was super proud of. And the funny thing is I've never worked in the animation industry. Um, It was just something that I was not able to make happen afterwards, but I am still very, very proud of the fact that I chased this thing that was so important to me. And I have the skill. I'm a trained animator in both traditional and computer animation. I watched this really cool documentary called Waking Sleeping Beauty. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's about Disney coming back, you know, and making The Little Mermaid and The Lion King. It's a really cool movie. Yeah, I love that documentary. I um, I highly recommend listening to it with the commentary. There's, uh, it's almost like getting to watch the movie in a slightly different way all over again because it has the the people who were there commenting on the documentary with even more uh, juicy tidbits, uh, which is fantastic. Yeah, animation was a cool thing. The Little Mermaid was just this amazing film that they seemingly pulled out of nowhere although it's not that but it's it's really cool yeah no they had some incredibly talented people um glenn keen is probably my um one of my artistic heroes he was the guy who animated uh ariel and little mermaid he also animated beast in beauty and the beast and tarzan and he is just a incredible artist and an incredible animator what's the biggest challenge you've had to overcome I would say um, getting full-time employment was something that I really struggled with and didn't really expect to struggle with as hard as I did. So I also have a bachelor's in communications or media studies, uh, which I did before I did my my, uh, animation school. And when I finished my university degree, I you know, I had been academically successful up to that point. I hadn't really encountered any real obstacles. And, you know, I had this plan that I was going to finish my university degree. I'd go out and work in the world for a bit, make some money, and then I'd you know, go to animation school. And that was going to be how I was going to get it done. And so I graduated and I kind of hit this wall and I couldn't get a job. I couldn't get myself hired. And that was a real shock to me. And I was on government benefits for quite a few years. And I was lucky in the sense that um, because both my parents were self-employed, I sort of had a model to go to of, well, if no one's going to hire me, then I'm just going to hire myself. And so I began doing freelance work as a web designer and graphic artist and programmer. And a lot of those skills were things I taught myself off the internet. And I gradually started getting work. And then after I finished animation school, this would have been around 2004, I was able to land my first job. It wasn't in animation, but because I'd done all this work in web design, I was able to land web work full-time. And so that was how I finally broke in to getting full-time employment. But it took a long time, and it was something that 
I hadn't expected to be as much of a slog as it has been. And um, I'm now I'm no longer doing programming so much now. I actually work as an email marketing specialist, and I've been doing that for the past couple of years. What's your hope for the future? Where do you see yourself going forward? Oh, I have many a plan. Um, I'm going to be joining my partner in Calgary later this fall. So that's a pretty big move that we've got ahead. And, you know, we have a lot of projects that we have on the go where we have an online initiative that we call uh, Tilted Windmills, which is an initiative around creativity, wellness, and uh, with a special focus on gender and disability. And we've been doing blog posts and podcasts, and we've got a web comic called Horace and Abigail. And so we, we really want to be doing more with that in the future as well. And then, yeah, my own art to my own. So yeah, I've got lots of things that I want to do. What comforts you or what do you take comfort in? I have a lovely um, dog. I have Pomeranian Jack Russell Terrier. She's about 13 pounds, and she's very snuggly. When my partner is here, and we spend a lot of time just uh, sitting on the bed, snuggling and watching TV and you know, spending time together. And that's, that's kind of my, my comfort, happy place. You also have the uh, Hot Chocolate Festival going on in Vancouver right now, and I take a great deal of pleasure in that as well. I take pleasure just knowing that that exists. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hot Chocolate Festival. 35 different flavors, I think. Or is it 35 different participants? It's a lot. It goes on between, uh, well, this year it's January 20th to Valentine's Day. And uh, there are walking maps. There are uh, exotic flavors of hot chocolate. Um, Yeah, it's worth coming out to Vancouver for it. I need to check some flights. We need to make this happen. (laughs) (laughs) How do you think people see you? I think people see a short woman in a wheelchair. I am notoriously oblivious to how people see me. It's funny, when my partner and I first got together, uh, we'd be walking down the street and he would say something to me me, like, uh, oh, did you see the, the way that guy was staring at you? And I'm like, what guy? It's just, it's one of those things that it just doesn't really register with me. And I don't know if maybe I'm just kind of oblivious, but um, I think I've gotten to the point where I take the view that I don't really have any control over how someone else is going to react to me. And so it's just not something I spend a lot of time thinking about. How do you wish people would see you? I would hope people treat me and see me with respect. And I think that's probably something that we all hope for, uh, whether you have a disability or not. I think that, you know, I'm, we are all different and we should not be ashamed or feel bad about those differences. And I think that so long as you treat someone with respect and with, um, you know, a, a deference to their humanity, then that's, that's really all you can hope for. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say at the pearly gates? (laughs) I would hope he would say that my paints have been set up for me and the chocolate fountain is this way. It's actually funny. I'm half Thai. 
Uh, my mother is from Thailand. And so I was raised in a Buddhist household uh, for the most part and taught about the Buddhist concept of reincarnation. And I don't know if I entirely, um, you know, I've signed on to it, but I do like the idea that um, I could come back and do it all again, come back as a dolphin or come back as someone else and be able to have another crack at it. And uh, what could I learn from my next time around? I think that's all the questions I have. Is there anything else you would like to talk about? I think I want to do a, a plug for uh, Tilted Windmills. Tilted Windmills, I think I mentioned, is um, a project that was started by myself and my partner. Um, when we first got together, we found that we were very surprised by the uh, common conversations that we were finding we were having myself as a person with a disability and him as a transgender man. And we just found it really, really interesting that there were so many common things in terms of what it's like to be part of communities that are considered to be on the margin and how it's really interesting how those groups are perceived by you know the larger uh, society, but also how we perceive ourselves. Like, you know, I'm, I'm experienced, unfortunately, I've seen a lot of infighting in the disabled community. And he's seen a lot of this in the trans community as well, which is really unfortunate. And, and how we as our own community struggle to find ourselves. And so after we'd had a lot of these conversations, we thought, you know, what would be really cool if we could bring our conversation to a wider audience, which is why we started Tilted Windmills. So we've been um, writing blog posts. We've been doing, um, my partner is more the podcaster. So he's got the podcast and I've been doing a webcomic called Horace and Abigail about a transgender tortoise and a mouse that uses a wheelchair, which is somewhat semi-autobiographical. And uh, so, yeah, we've been doing a lot with that. We really hope to do more with that in the future. Um, we're both ridiculously busy right now with him doing his master's and me just trying to get us packed up for Calgary. So, uh, but I know we're going to do more with it. Tiltedwindmills.com. Yes, indeed. And you can find us on Facebook as well. We've, um, while we're not doing as much work on the website these days, I am trying to keep our Facebook presence active. So we're constantly posting interesting articles that we found, and both from the disability angle and the uh, trans or gender nonconforming angles. So I really encourage people to uh, find us on Facebook and join the conversation. Well, thanks so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for inviting me. See you next time. Thanks to Athena for being on this episode, and thank you for listening. You can check out all of her links at abilitypodcast.com forward slash Athena Cooper. If you get a chance, please rate and review Ability on iTunes. It really helps out the show. For all the latest updates, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Ability Podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, keep on rolling. <laughs>